0: and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Michael, and I am the host this week. I'm joined always by my good friends, Jeff. Hello. And my other good friend, Richard. Hello. This week on the Mount Rushmore Podcast, we are discussing the Mount Rushmore of vanity projects, and this is my topic. And um, this is also a week where we've switched roles. We take the mask off, and we just kind of put them in a bucket and... Put it back on. See who's the judge, and it's me. It's like a
1: big key party, except no sex. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, the night is young, gentlemen. (laughs) That's true.
0: And uh, well, vanity projects, and of course, you know, uh, I I don't necessarily consider this podcast a vanity project. It is more of like a cheap way to do like therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. three Of us, yes, we can tell our own stories and. Uh, just talk about things that we like, and yeah. maybe that is a vanity project. And maybe well, you know, if you didn't say
2: list. vanity side project. Do we mm-hmm. think that that's a different thing?
0: That's a good question. Okay, okay. Um, I, I Maybe with a band, sometimes the band becomes the actual project of the yeah. lead singer, and yeah. maybe it isn't necessary. Maybe he or she goes off to do a side project as a mm-hmm. vanity project, but then in ult- you know, in reality, maybe the... I haven't thought about it. Yeah. I would
2: be interested along the way if Mm. if you, as the host, deem it uh, necessary to discuss the ways we view this topic and what makes something a vanity project versus something that's just uh, a crazy thing that somebody did that ends up being very valid and relevant to the world. I guess that's how it's received.
0: Richard, can you object? and say leading leading <laughs> the judge. No, he's
1: good. Okay. okay.
2: Well, I'm the judge. <laughs> Objection basically. overruled. Uh, oh, I, sidebar, I th- please, your honor.
0: <laughs> I think the reason I chose this, uh, I don't know, it just seems like it is so prevalent in our world. Yeah. Uh, vanity and the idea that you must be, that one is more important than someone else, that yeah. one puts their image out there, or, or in a band situation, um, feels the need to take the lead beyond what really should exist. Yeah.
2: I think... The trappings of celebrity in any avenue invite uh, people who think they might find a dollar or some kind of fame themselves from encouraging you to do any idiotic thing that you want to. So that's when Shatner sings way or something. I just gave away my first
1: choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Richard, um, did you go first last week or did Richard? or did I, I? I judge last did week. I? You judged. Do you remember who went first, Jeff or me? Uh, you did. I did. You're uh, the
1: one who reminded me the most of Blackula.
0: So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, Richard, um, how about, why don't you go first?
1: Sure. All right. My first choice is the 1984 Paul McCartney, ah give my quote regards. in quotes, comedy. Yeah. Give my regards to Broad Street. So Paul McCartney, he always wanted to be a filmmaker. This was as much of his dream growing up as being a musician. Um, and I guess you could argue that his previous attempt at being a filmmaker, the and again I'm using air quotes avant-garde magical mystery tour, yeah. is the thing that almost broke up the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, give my regards to Broad Street. You can kind of look at it as maybe a course correction, or maybe you just look at it as a rotten, poorly executed film. Yeah, could mm. go either way because this thing I remember I remember watching this as a ten or eleven year old on my brother my brother-in-law's uh, what were the not the DVDs, but they the track. big ones? Oh, reel to reel? No, no. Oh, it. laser disc. Laser, laser disc. Sorry, disc. Yeah. he had a laser disc, mm-hmm. and they, our video store had a very small collection of yeah. laser disc, and this was one of them. And I remember thinking, "Oh, I love the Beatles. How bad could this be?" Uh. <sighs> <laughs> here's, a, here's a question. I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah. Um, does this necessarily go out of its way to paint uh, Sir Paul in mm-hmm. a good light, or is it just like? This is something as I'd like to do. Mm. I don't know which beetle that was. I think it's all y- of them Yogi at the Yogi Bear time.
2: the Yogi beetle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey.
3: Hey, hey,
0: hey. Hey, hey
2: boo
1: boo.
0: Is it like, "Oh, this is Paul in the spotlight," not that he has ever been out of the spotlight for. Uh, yeah, all I of think his there's life. an element of that. So
1: here's yeah. here's the basic plot is that uh, the master tapes for Paul McCartney's uh, next album are due the next day. He has to get it to these slimy business people who never really explained exactly who they are. Um so he entrusts his ex-con friend to deliver it to him. Well he goes out goes missing and slimy uh business people are saying, well if you don't re don't find it and get it to us in the next 24 hours, we're going to take over your record label. Which I don't think that's how hmm. business works. I'm no I'm no record company executive myself, yeah. but I don't think it works that way. Do you- we just watched a little bit
0: of um, The Little Mermaid. Now that we are just fully ingrained in Disney Plus, and um, Felix tapped out within like seven minutes, but like by the time Ursula signs on, like gets Ariel to sign on the dotted line, yeah. she has three days to fall in love. That seemed egregious, mm-hmm. right? Hmm. This, this contract I don't think would hold up. In no, court. I don't know about British law. Though, so oh, to yeah. be fair, that's true. There's a barrister yeah. involved. That's with uh, a
1: wig, yeah. powdered wigs, a yogi barrister. So the whole movie is basically. It's combination of this half-assed attempt to try to find the, the guy in the master tapes. And then a lot of these, like... Then also these fantasy sequences that kind of come out of nowhere that don't really tie into anything else, it seems like. And then this sort of a day in the life of Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. W- and he's recording something with Ringo. What year was this? 84. And, you know, it's... Oh, there's Linda McCartney because that's what we need more of in our lives is yeah. Linda Moore. Yeah. That's, what, Linda that's what people were... were, were we're just dying for in 1984 yeah. i've heard her sing now can i see <laughs> yeah. her act yeah
2: do you think the so what? what uh, some friends have worked been working on entertainment in um that's now streaming on or headed to digital platforms like netflix and amazon and apple tv and all the stuff that was originally podcast based and i feel like when a new medium arrives like a comet like the music video did there are people who are ready to just add a bunch more money to it, and therefore make a lot more money. So I,
1: I think where are those people for us? Why well, God bless Dear, please, Are you listening? Please. <laughs>
2: um, so whenever I examine something like that, I think of like the the thing. Was there a place where it worked? And I I don't know if I could say there was a thing that was like Broad Street that worked, but I know other people were doing it. Like Dennis DeYoung, there was that Desert Moon. Video, or oh, sure, s- and that was a full length
1: music musical at some point. Well, then there's Mr. Robotta was a full length musical. Neil Young had movies that he did, yeah, like with Devo co starring, that was, you know, yeah, very like out there.
2: I almost feel like, like, uh, Macca could have planned for this to be a, something that's small, and people just kind of uh, encouraged it up to this titanic proportion thing that could never achieve much, but yet
1: it's also so half assed. That's the amazing part yeah. is that it's – and what uh, 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 on one part, it's very like, well, we're going to show the story of my le- – a day in the life. Yeah. See what I did there? Day oh, the brilliant. Um, I'm taking points off for every time you say it. <laughs> um, do you see what I did there? Because, yes, we all – every listener of this podcast – We hear what you did there. Yes. Yeah, and, and nobody's happy about it. There goes
2: our money that people are going to invest to <laughs> but take it, us out
1: of the garage. But it's – on one hand, it is this very – Octopus's like, garden. Mm-hmm. Get it. Ah. Do you see what he did there? No, I don't. I'm very confused. May
2: I approach the bench? <laughs>
1: Punch. Ouch. Ah. <laughs> so, anyway, it's, 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 it, at it, one hand, it's this very Paul McCartney centric thing that's all about his life and what he does. And then the other hand, there's this half assed, what should be the main plot, but what quickly becomes like the B or C plot. And it's just, it's bad, you guys. Mm. It's really bad. Yeah. Well, I find it interesting that
0: uh, a, a group of, one of four people who have possibly been described as bigger than Jesus mm-hmm. still needs the, the the feeling of needing to
1: put himself out. Oh, yeah. And also the soundtracks. The soundtrack is no good. Mm. Um, and when you take the soundtrack and the movie together and how lazy and kind of schlocky it is, it kind of sums up where his career was going for most of the rest of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look back to a...
0: Uh, Earlier episode in the season of shitty things about the Beatles, I believe I pointed out that,
1: like, their post-Beatles careers were just kind of like, meh. Well, you know, I would I would argue, and maybe I did on the podcast, I don't remember, like, Wings was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And a couple need, of... You couple needed of, a qualifier there before good. A couple of the early 80s albums, like Tug of War wasn't mm-hmm. bad. But once you hit this, man, the, the rest of the mm-hmm. 80s is rough
2: you may have this in your notes richard but if you didn't like the movie you probably wouldn't have liked the video game based on the film yes. released for the commodore 64 and sinclair zx
1: spectrum oh, the no, best or the best games were were released for the sinclair yeah, yeah. by the way i like this more now um so basically so basically the game was that you, that if i remember correctly the the, the tapes wind up going missing again, and it's for one song that was supposed to be like the lead single. Mm. So it's almost like this E.T. T- the, remember the E.T. game on Atari? Oh, for sure. So it's kind of like that, except you have to go and find the other musicians who helped you work on the song and record all of the missing pieces. This is awful.
0: That's beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's That's great. beautiful. Jeffrey? Yes, sir.
0: What is your first choice? Well, I
2: was trying to find things that I really had a relationship with with and i i'm a big fan of 60s television stars who had a career dip afterwards mm-hmm. there's a guy named adam west who i'm a big fan of and william shatner is another one of those dudes mm-hmm. and i was fascinated to learn that the transformed man uh this album of speak sung, spoken word type of music that he did uh was not done during a career dip it was actually a quickie one off 45 minute recording session while shooting Star Trek that uh, he, I think, actually forgot that he even did. Oh. Yeah. Ben Folds chatted with him because they worked together on an album and he had explained to Ben, like, he just, it was just something his his agent recommended uh, and something he did as kind of a, a quickie one off in between, um, like, on his lunch break. Right. And anybody who, um, knows William Shatner's career as an actor, knows that he ha- is prone to histrionics and very uh, uh, powerful performances. And That's one way to put it. Yeah, and th- this album is is definitely falls into that category. Um, the track listing um, is um, King Henry V, Elegy for the Brave, the theme from Cyrano, Mr. Tambourine Man, which has him shouting as if Mr. Tambourine Man is, has forgotten his wallet and he's running away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, Mr. Tambourine Man! You know, towards towards the end, Hamlet is very good year. Romeo and Juliet, how sensitive, how insensitive as Lucy in the sky with diamonds. That's a good one. Yeah, That's and a the transformed year. man. So um, this also, I think, capitalized on his sci-fi career. On the back, he's holding up something like a um, what looks something like a a laser gun. Right. But it is indeed just a folded up tripod. Did uh,
0: did, uh, did this precede Leonard Nimoy's? Career. Af- the Ballad of
2: Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, I think it was after. because I've, I've learned a little bit about that and those people who were just so rushing to throw money at uh, the we, success of Star Trek. So. We kind
0: of, this kind of falls into that. We, we kind of talked about this a uh, long time ago on, this is like a throwback episode, uh, of uh, the Halloween songs. When yeah. There's just so much, there's, there's so much, there's a clamor for mm-hmm. like jokey, silly, yeah, uh, Whatever. Yeah, and I would love to say, w- w- did uh, did Chekhov ever put out an yeah. album? Well, I, With, I, where, I was, where was the one that Sulu. was by bones? Yeah. yeah,
2: I think some. Oh yeah, the Patrick McGowan, uh Christmas album <laughs> or um, <laughs> the William McAnic. The the um, it, I think these albums that because they have a celebrity on the cover, they stay in the record bin. They live long enough to outlive their genre. And there was a genre, a spoken word genre, in which many people, including Sebastian Cabot, you know, all these other people were doing these speak singing albums, and they were popular and they were selling, and it was real.
1: Lauren Green was another Lorne one of Lauren Green, a bunch. that's right, yeah. Uh, but. So, so by the way, Nimoy, 67, Shatner, 68. 68, okay. Uh, they seem mm-hmm. eons apart, actually. That
0: makes it seem like a vanity project. That makes it seem like.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Nimoy
0: did if it. If Nimoy so gotta, can do it... I can do it better. I'm the captain yeah. of this ship. I've got to be able to get in there and put my tracks down and right. be, on, be on the cover. Yeah.
2: You know, I think uh, Burt Ward did record uh, an album before Adam West
1: <laughs> did. So Didn't you say that the Burt Ward one was basically another one where like his his management basically said, you should do this, and he's like, I, I don't know what to sing. Yeah. I, I,
2: I don't think any of them had a huge career in musical, musical theater beforehand. So, yeah. Um, I
0: do love love the William Shatner persona Because it feels like everything he's done Has been all just tied into vanity Yeah Like just the way that he speaks on camera Mm -hmm. uh, The James Kirk character It feels all just a a look at me sort of of character It even transferred over to It feels uh, like on Futurama The um, I can't remember the name of the captain That was Mm -hmm. an asshole But I, I will. Oh, feels zap, zap, very, zap zap Zap, zap, Br- zap Brannigan. Brannigan feels very quirky yeah. and vain oh, yeah. and all about himself.
2: I will say that that character clearly existed in pulp adventure tropes beforehand. But if you said that you're trying to sell a sci fi uh, ensemble drama to Middle America mm-hmm. and the captain was going to be this science officer like Spock. Everybody would said, "Hell no!" He's got to be this swaggering, sexy guy who can make everything just kind of swarthy and swashbuckling. And Shatner could sit in a chair, could could and and ooze swagger, and then go on a bad planet set and fight a bad space monster in practical slow motion and do it in a way that you you kind of like, yeah, hey man, so swagger. So whatever it was that didn't work so well on an album. Was firing on all cylinders on on TV, so hats off to him. But later on, I feel like Shatner was outside of the joke that he got in. Like later on, he's doing spots, he's doing commercials. He was he was on the AFI tribute to um, George Lucas, uh-huh. and he did Shatner to a T, singing "I did it my way" and just over the top. You know, he, he knows what he's doing now. He's in on the joke now.
0: I Did It My Way is the number one song of Boomer Dads. Oh. <laughs> to be like, this is the song yeah. that everyone needs to know and love. It's like, uh, this song is... Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's ignore this let's, song forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Richard. Yes.
0: Your second choice for Vanity Project. All right. N-
1: another movie. is uh, The Lady in the Water. Oh, wow. Directed by M. Night Shy- mm-hmm. Uh, Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. It's where he casts himself as a writer whose words are so important that they will eventually save all of humanity. Oh, yeah, nothing, nothing vain there. No ego stroking happening there. Yeah. Um, Also, there's a film critic character who gets killed about midway through the movie. Mm, Symbolism uh, is a total idiot asshole, and uh, is is supposed to be someone that you're rooting for to get killed. Ah. Certainly, certainly no, uh, no uh, No agenda there. Agenda there at all. Uh, Plus, there's also there's a a nymph-like character called a narf. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Just like just like the uh Pinky used to say on Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> mm. Um, just the amount ima- I, I, I haven't seen this and judging by, by the box office, most people didn't, I think. This came out after The Village,
0: which I yes. liked. But this felt I remember it being described as a modern day fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, I don't need that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it I was think. it was the the, the the whole plot was so incomprehensible. That the head of uh, Disney Studios basically said, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and finance it, but just so you know, I don't really understand what you're doing Mm -hmm. with this. And in another kind of point of hubris, Mr. Shyamalan said, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to go to Warner Brothers just because you said you don't understand what the project is. Even though he had been working at Touchstone slash Disney from the beginning. Yeah that this was the thing that just broke him where he said, I, I can't work with you if you don't understand yeah. the complexity and the the depth of this project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's just uh, this an incredible amount of hubris. They made a, he, he had a book made a, of the making of it because he thought this was going to be such an important yeah. film. The book is called The Man Who Heard Voices, mm. which I, from what I understand, it's just as self-aggrandizing as the title would indicate. Mm-hmm. And this was like the beginning of the end for him. Because even The Village, I know that a lot of people who watched it, and I didn't see it, but I know what the twist is. I won't spoil the twist, but it's a bad twist from
3: mm-hmm. from
1: what I understand. It was a twist that got many people very upset. Uh, I don't know. I liked The Village. M. Night Shyamalan had
0: made previous appearances in movies, in his own movies, yeah. in a Contact, very... So. Uh,
1: uh, not contact, um Signs. 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 Sorry. Sorry, six cents. He, he he did like a thing where he would do like a his Hitchcock. Smaller yes. role. Uh-huh. A little bit more than a little bit more than Hitchcock, mm-hmm. but like usually a kind of a as a doctor yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. This one he cast himself in a lead kind of role that is the like I said, the writer who is going to save all of humanity mm-hmm. with his philosophy. Yeah. That's, that's a step up in class. That's that's troubling. Yeah. Mm. Um
0: yeah, makes me like him a lot less. That uh, it's it's funny. He's a guy that I could also like at some point have like no opinion on, and then you hear something like this, and you are like, "Oh, okay." Well, let's just move him down mm-hmm. a few pegs. Mm-hmm. Just, just you know, hearing the story. Wh- what I
2: think is is interesting is the story when he was a successful uh, filmmaker with Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Unbreakable. He was celebrated by some parts of the, I guess, some renegades within the industry as being the guy who defied the development business. So we think of like filmmaking is one thread that runs through Hollywood. Surrounding it are 90% of the people who are employed by Hollywood whose job it is to develop films, not make films, just develop them. We're going to get a new writer on that. We're going to get a fresh set of eyes on that. We're in turnaround on this. We don't know how to, we're going to recast this. All these people whose job it is to go to sit in offices and look busy and go out to lunch with people and pretend that they're doing things. So here comes this guy who has final cut. He's the writer, director, he's a, a, a producer. Nobody can do shit on these movies and they're making millions of dollars.
1: It's it's the last vestige of the auteur era yeah. in the yeah. 70s yeah
2: it, but he is untouchable so this guy unbreakable is the movie, unbreakable you're this you're guy you're <laughs> not the untouchables that's <laughs> so a different guess, uh yeah no okay so this guy is is teflon nobody can do anything to him so you're mad at this guy mm. but this guy is just like a guy like george lucas who's going to succeed until he stops because he doesn't even listen to an audience he doesn't care what an audience thinks he doesn't care what feedback he gets.
1: Yeah, as I was doing the research for this, uh, when I reached that point about the Disney studio mm-hmm. head, I thought That was Dick Cook and yes. Nina Jacobson. Yeah, and I it was Dick Cook who said he didn't uh-huh. understand it. Yeah. And my whole as when I read that, I thought, well, this is one of the few times where studio meddling would have been yeah. appreciated. Yeah. Like it would have actually helped. Because if you think about back to think back to the 70s, you know, kind of cinema days, mm-hmm. You know, yes, Dennis Hopper would could do Easy Rider, yeah, but then he had he would have Carte Blanche and then do something yeah. completely terrible, yeah, or Michael Cimino doing Deer Hunter. So then the next thing he gets is Carte Blanche, mm-hmm. and he's able to do Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. which almost went down on, on my list as one of the yeah. movies, yeah, because it was such a vanity project and sort of blown smoke up his own ass, yeah. Um, so it, it it kind of reminds me of that. Like you said, he's successful until he's not. And it was almost, at some point, it was set up for him to fail spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And this is where it happened. Yeah. Uh, okay. J Dog. Yes. Numero dos. My, numero <laughs> numero hit me. dos. Hit
2: me with your okay. thoughts. Hit, hit me with your thoughts. <laughs> with on the, the pod thoughts. right now, go. I saw this film in the theater, and it was a Rocky Horror style situation where everybody's talking back to the. To the, the film, and I had not Schindler's heard List. of it. it was Sch- <laughs> <laughs> Don't get in the train! March of the Penguins. <laughs> Don't get in the train! <laughs> uh, it was The Room. Now it's kind of celebrated as a flop, a big, stupid flop, and so I think we associate vanity projects with people who have already have some ex- established success or power. Yeah. Tommy Wiseau was not an industry insider or a celebrity or anything like that, but he had enough money to just do whatever the fuck he wanted to. So he had succeeded in merchandising um, trinkets on, at a on Pier 39 or whatever and somehow had all this money. And my perspective on this film in terms of how it was horrible was kind of expanded after reading the nonfiction book, The Disaster Artist. A great book. Yeah, it's a great book. And it m- informed me in uh, from an artistic standpoint that even vanity projects, that, that individual might be so uh, clouded in their own, kind of high on their own supply, mm. but they're still trying to do a good thing mm-hmm. because they want to keep the love train going from everybody. Maybe they're not listening to as many of their um, artistic collaborators as they did before. Maybe those people have flipped, like everyone else around them, from a friend to a yes person. Um, But Tommy Wiseau had the best intentions of being not just a brilliant actor, but a beloved American normal person. I think that's all he ever just wanted to be. And so this character that Tommy Wiseau plays in the film is this all-American guy who is almost like a, a your big brother kind of character. Hey, let's throw the football around. I'm just I'm t- I'm buying flowers. Everybody knows me. Uh,
1: He's a businessman of some sort of. Yeah, he's he's
2: kind of playing this beloved kind of figure who doesn't know how to throw a football, doesn't know how to talk to people, um, how but, to interact in any sort yeah, of like human in way. Anyway, and uh, Greg Sistero, who uh, was his collaborator and and friend, uh, does a really good job of describing his good intent and in describing this individual who just wanted all the things that everybody else wants is kind of love and acceptance and to be normal or to be beautiful or to be the leading person and how uh, it was expressed in a way that was just so bizarre that, and he was not listening to any of the professionals who he hired to, to work on this film. So I know this has become a cult film and almost like a midnight uh, movie kind of thing, but um, I found it very telling in that somebody who had yet to accomplish amazing success had enough money to do a vanity project and to uh, put put himself out there. For I, all for all its bad acting, he's doing a lot of acting. I, <laughs> he's I, acting all over the place. He's acting. Much like Shatner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You cannot question the volume,
1: the volume or of amount of his acting. Yeah.
0: I do appreciate this angle. This is the angle that is vanity born of your own self, not necessarily va- vanity born of... A previous, um, a previous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Like he, it, he has not earned the, he has not earned the place to be vain within our society yeah. in terms of a vanity project. He has not gotten there as the lead singer of a band and then broken yeah. out and been like, "I need to go my own way and do my own thing because I have been mm-hmm. successful in this," or "I am not this famed director of these." yeah half dozen beloved movies that everybody wants to see so i am untouchable mm-hmm. he is a guy that sells trinkets yeah that has made his money but still thinks of himself so much mm-hmm. that's pretty fascinating
2: if it was if he was an emperor of rome this is this is he would make a colosseum or he would make some beautiful uh architecture uh but he's a nobody so he would have built that really interesting wooden bridge <laughs> You know, or something out, out in the middle of nowhere. This is his weird, mm. his weird... So it's not a celebrity side project, but it's a vanity project. No, no yeah, no, yeah,
0: yeah. A nice choice. Um, we are at halftime. Halftime. And um, I am going to forego begging people to... Oh. Listen, download, uh, listen to our show, to download, to rate and review. We, we have we'd, been... We've done that. Yeah. yeah. We are 199 cliche. episodes in. So I would like to just kind of look back at the last I love it. 20 minutes that we've been talking about this episode and just some stray observations going into the second half. Ooh, okay. we got about to get roasted. I, no, no, I want to give you guys uh, some an insight into okay for the second half to see maybe you can make some changes. Oh, nice. Maybe you want to see how I'm viewing it. First, I haven't seen any of these movies or listened to any of the albums that you guys have talked about yet. So I'm okay. a complete blank slate. Okay. So I'm taking all of this in. This is all stuff that's like new. Um... You know, even though I know William Shatner or know um, M. Night Shyamalan, I haven't seen that movie, haven't heard that album, so it's very interesting to have these vanity projects of things that like are just kind of out there in the mm-hmm. ether. Number two, are all vanity projects necessarily bad? Hmm. Because nothing that we've described so far has been good. I I so don't I know. I'm, so I just, will. I'm oh, just okay. I'm just letting you know. So okay. far, it's interesting that vanity projects are these. Things that are seen, like the idea of vanity is seen as uh, a bad thing. Yeah. Nobody likes being vain. Nobody likes being seen as being vain. Mm-hmm. So when we think of something as a vanity project, we necess- we often think of it as like uh, derogatory. Yeah. But maybe someone is just like the right, it's the right thing for them to do mm-hmm. is to go out there and to be like, yes, I'm a fucking superstar. Of course, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah. I'm the one. <laughs> yeah. I'm in this band, but like, yeah, these, the band is with me and I'm going to go do the me Mm -hmm. part of it and I'm going to make this thing incredible. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, Mike and the mechanics. (laughs) I was, I can't believe
0: they went back to being mechanics. (laughs) I was at this. They're very good mechanics. I was at this
1: theme park in
2: Anaheim called something land. Okay. Yeah. And it's got, mm, it's got the statue of this guy, right? When you walk in. And then um, everywhere you go, there's this name of this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've all
1: been to Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Mister Don Knott, <laughs> his statue. Well, that's so funny because there was somebody who
2: was on some show talking about um, uh, theme parks, and they it's they had it was as if they'd forgotten that Walter Knott put his name on a theme park for or like a, a, a funny a, an amusement park first, but.
3: If, if, if I
0: do. I do like that Knott's Berry Farm is like the Frank from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia of mm-hmm. theme parks. He's just swimming in the wake, yeah, just trying to get whatever <laughs> leftovers the people that don't go yeah. to Disneyland are just like ah, just get the Knott's people.
2: I when that park opened, everybody was calling it like Disney's folly, Disney's failed project, and now that it's a huge success, and I think what it has is a big place for people to live and craft their own stories and be a part of the story and it gives back so much and it has so much that isn't about this individual who created it. So I feel like, yes, it any, I almost think any enterprise, anytime somebody steps in front of a microphone to record something or steps into the spotlight is vanity. It's it's vanity. You've chosen yourself to be the person who's being looked at and listened to. But when it gets to the point where it seems to defy an audience, uh, to even, it defies whatever. At the point where it seems like the creator is a, absolutely inconsiderate of the quality or the reception mm. of it that's okay. when it seems like vanity like fuck you i don't care whether you like it i just want to be in front of everybody like a presidency that is currently
1: i, I uh, would like to point out that uh, don knott's farm could totally work that could totally work um you could have instead of the uh 20, the ghost of mr leagues, chicken yeah instead of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea mr. you could limpet. have the incredible mr limpet ride. yeah yes um you could have instead of frontier land it could be the shakiest gun in the west yes land uh, you, you, this could work
2: this is This is amazing. They need to
1: rebrand this. Yeah. Uh, Get this Barry shit out of here. Where's the three's company?
2: Just the
1: lounge. Just the lounge. (laughs) The Hall of Presidents
3: instead. Uh, And we're back. And we're back.
0: We're back from uh, halftime, which felt like just another uh,
1: part of the show. Richard. Hey. uh, Hit me with number three. Hey, uh, you know what's even better than Garth Brooks? Oh, Chris Gaines. Mm. Garth Brooks is an emo oh, pop star. Oh my god. <laughs> Where do I sign oh, the fuck wow. up, Man. Yeah, that's right. Chris Gaines, uh, from ni- right around 1999. This mm-hmm. was a project he did. he been... spell it with a K? No, it's just C H R I S. Okay, I'm... just making sure. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it, he had been. He, this is a project he'd been percolating for a while. He had decided that partially he wanted to make a, a non-country album but sort of felt like he was trapped in the persona of being Garth Brooks. So how do you get around this? Mm-hmm. You sw- you
0: switch the one tone from one of your uh, breastplates on your shirt to the other <laughs> side. <laughs>
1: just completely Yeah, the, the, the vertical stripes you make them horizontal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't you just do like a rally cap with your cowboy hat and just turn mm-hmm. it upside down and be like, this is what I am now.
1: So he wanted to not only kind of explore these different styles of music like he's always been a, vocal uh billy joel fan and all this other Mm. stuff yeah Uh, i also wanted to have a launch pad for his serious acting career um except the movie never came about so what you wound up having was a bunch of confused fans trying to figure out (laughs) why is he singing like boys to men Hmm. and why does he look like i don't know jane's brother trent from daria
0: i did i did love the um the eyeliner the like, eyeliner.
1: Actually, I mean, my favorite part was the little soul patch. Yeah. That he had. My
0: my only experience with Chris Gaines was like an episode of SNL that he was. Yeah. Doing. I was. When, yep. When it was just like, oh, ah, uh, that's that's Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, it was Garth. And it was Garth Brooks who hosted Saturday Night Live. But the musical guest was Chris Gaines. That is ridiculous. Which wow. is even more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He They even did a faux behind the music with the whole backstory and life of Chris Gaines. Um, because they couldn't do they never got around to doing the actual movie. Mm. This is how they could set up the whole story of how I think he'd been in a car accident and maybe yeah. been disfigured I, I don't fucking So this remember. is uh,
0: would you say this is what like 97 98 99 99. Can you imagine all the failed Twitter accounts that are like set up? like can you imagine to take yeah. Twitter back to, to, to <laughs> 1999 oh, and have like the like at Chris mm-hmm. Gaines? And just the push that must have been out there. Yeah. Like, we've got to get Chris Gaines uh, trending. Hashtag, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Gaines in the USA. I'm sure we could work on that. Hashtag weight gains. Did you? Yes. Or you,
2: were you going to discuss no, I, the film? Because there was a film that yeah, was so supposed you, to be. You,
1: d- <laughs> you mentioned there was a failed film. Yeah, they never, they never actually. A was pre, it about Chris Gaines? It's a Gaines?
2: pre-soundtrack.
1: Yeah.
2: And that. that
1: it the, was supposed to be the life of Chris Gaines. It was yeah. supposed to. It was almost supposed to be like this Eddie and the Cruisers type movie, where it's mm-hmm. you know, a reporter who was trying to find out what happened to Chris Gaines. Yeah. He had fallen off the completely fallen off the map. Yeah, it was that sort of thing. And we
2: were well, the Chris Gaines that we got exposed to.
1: I have an interesting anecdote.
2: The, uh, uh, you the film that. was called The Lamb, and it was revolved around Chris Gaines, and it was a kind of a it was through his life. So yeah. we were seeing his emo phase and he might have had other more authentic phases or more folky phases or something like that. Yeah. It was a thing. It seems seems like we looked through the keyhole at this one part of this bigger project and unlike say Prince in Purple Rain where he's playing like the kid or he's playing he's like playing this himself. he himself but he's not he's called Prince in Purple Rain, no, he's, he's playing just the kid. he's the kid. But it's um, basically himself. Yeah, it's basically himself. He's doing much more of a character and much more of a derivation. Yeah, he wanted
1: this one. He wanted this. He wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There was a Marvel comic book sometime in like the early 2000s called The Century. And the character was um, like this all-powerful Superman type sort of guy that was supposedly a member of the Avengers. But somehow he turned bad. Yada, yada, yada they tried to rewrite him in and retcon him into, like, the Avengers history as, like, this person that was, like, the forgotten superhero. He was the forgotten part of the Avengers that nobody seems to remember for whatever reason because some dark version of the century existed as well, like, the Void or... The Dinkelberg. Whatever it is. Of the Avengers. I love the idea of, like, people trying to rewrite a history to be like, oh, you don't... Like, I can imagine the behind the music for this. I can imagine the VH1 special of...
2: Few people remember, yeah.
0: And like the poorly Photoshopped 1999,
1: <laughs> like, uh, version of him from 1990 90 or something like that. Yeah.
0: This is, a, I mean, a young Chris Gaines. That does take a lot of vanity to be like, yes, we need to create this incredible backstory for this fictional character for this movie, mm-hmm. and this album that is that I think is important because I don't want to sing about, um, cowboys, cowboys, and trucks and yeah. dogs and.
1: And also the heat, also the hubris to go ahead and plow plow ahead with this project, even though the movie is not getting made. Yeah. yeah. That's that takes some cojones. Yeah. And it's one thing if the movie gets, you know, produced and it's ready to come out, and then you go through with the whole project and you're sort of like I would think that if the movie gets binned and doesn't get yeah. made, you just sort of release the album as, Hey, this is a Garth Brooks album, I'm doing something different, mm-hmm. doing some pop stuff. Don't worry, I'm still a country artist, but I want to try something different. Then you move on. Yeah, and even the reviews that I read online of the album, I remember the the single was called "Boston You," mm. and it was kind of it was harmless late '90s, early 2000s pop. It got not bad reviews, and I think I read on AllMusic they basically said, "Look, if this had just been released as a Garth Brooks pop Garth Brooks pop album, it probably would have been well pretty well received." Hey, what a change of pace! Yeah. Something different, but the fact that it was tied up in this Chris Gaines insanity just mm-hmm. so good. Fine choice, Richard. I look back at photos of myself wearing
2: certain outfits and I think, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> at least You're it wasn't an outfit to album. look like Chris yeah, Gaines. To yeah, look like, like Chris Gaines, Jeffrey. Yes, sir.
0: Your third choice. Okay. today, please. So
2: I huge Bill Murray fan. Loved him on SNL. I Loved Meatballs. I loved Stripes. I loved Caddyshack, and then as a kid, uh, I go into a movie theater in 1984, so I must have been, I guess, uh, 8th grader, ninth grader, and it's the summer, I think it is, and see The Razor's Edge, and
1: I... A biopic of the wrestler, the the Razor Razor, Ramon. Razor
2: Ramon, yeah. (laughs) was Was there two of those guys? Was it? Was there like a Ramon Brothers, Razor Ramones? No, no. Okay, all right, not good. Let me not question the wrestling. I experts. thought you were gonna.
0: Uh, it, it, it was. <laughs> it could have been a com. It could have been a Razor Ramon and The Edge teaming up. Oh, that's true. Yeah. They could have been a, what a hell of a tag team. A hell there. of a tag team. Edge
1: yeah. just hitting people with his guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
2: a uh fo- oh the other Edge sorry. movie movie
1: the wrestler Edge. I thought you meant the U two. No, it's guitarist okay. edge. That's actually more <laughs> interesting to me. But Jeff, go on.
2: And anyway, Bill Murray is in an adaptation of Think What Was a favorite book of his, and um, it uh, takes place in World War One, and he joins the military and he gets put out on the front line and he's an ambulance driver, and the whole audience is just waiting for him to be funny, and Bill Murray is just trying to do something kind of meaningful. And there is a soliloquy in the film in which he's speaking to a dead uh, soldier, and he gives this soliloquy. And it had happened not, maybe it was a year, I forget, maybe it was less than a year after um, John Belushi had passed away. And it got out in the press at the time that that was essentially Bill Murray's eulogy for John Belushi. So here's this movie that's when which we're all kind of expecting Bill Murray to be funny, and then there's this kind of maudlin, but heartfelt eulogy for another film star. Who also tried to escape the big broad comedy trappings. Here's a guy who did The Continental Divide. He did. He played the kind of uh, milk toast character in Neighbors. He was trying to get away from Samurai Night Fever or and, Bluto. Or Bluto. He was trying to stop being the fat punchline to jokes and maybe even get away from all those excesses that killed him eventually so i think this is fascinating for me because it is an audience keeping an artist from doing something that expands their palette of colors to paint with as as a as an artist and it it didn't work It wasn't entertaining. It wasn't amazing. Bill Murray later on has shown us those, the pathos that he can come across in a character. I think starting with Ed Wood, then going into Rushmore and then Lost in Translation, he can communicate a character who is experiencing and has experienced loss. Hmm. And his face (laughs) has always been written with pathos. His face has always been this Huckleberry Hound kind of face. Hmm. But the beginning of a journey that he's very much succeeded on. Um, but I, I think it also is uh, maybe also the beginning of Bill Murray's performance art piece that is called Bill Murray, um, in which I'm going yeah. to <laughs> disrupt your expectation of me. I'm going to defy uh, whatever you think I should be to you, this thing that you which you would just want to play golf with me and, and, and you know, uh, go see a Cubs game. Go see a Cub game, give you noogies, you know, or blow up gophers. We'll, or wander like into your wedding, yeah, wedding you, photos yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I, I, I as a kid, remember being disappointed. Then as a budding kind of uh, cineast and aspiring filmmaker, realizing he was doing something, trying to do something different. I know Bill Murray, the day he rapped on this film, the next day he goes off and does Ghostbusters and goes off to get back into that comedy pool. And that right. was the reason he got to do this film, because he agreed to do Ghostbusters. Oh, was, that, was yeah. that part of the deal? Yeah, so it set him back on this um, journey to be the doofus, hilarious uh, guy that uh, maybe there's, he wanted to break free of.
0: There's a, um, a new Netflix series called um, The Movies That Made Us. Oh, yeah. Sure. If you've seen like The Toys That Made Us, yeah. which is... We've watched because I'm, you know, a kid of the '80s, and yeah. it's just what you do. You watch, yeah. you watch things that make you feel good. Yeah. About when you were 11 years old, and they had a little bit about they had on the movies that made us. They had one about Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and you know they're interviewing like Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm.
3: And
0: that's it. You know, they they don't talk to Bill Murray. Yeah. You know, they obviously can't talk to Harold Ramis, but um, it's very interesting to hear how about this movie about. Out. They were just on like on like, tenter hooks about. Is he even gonna show up? He's yeah, like this like notorious a hole about everything. Oh yeah, he's right. Kind of like in his own head. So hearing that like this feels very much like a vanity project for him, mm-hmm. and he could do this because he could go do this buddy ghost movie. Is seems accurate. Yeah,
3: hmm.
2: yeah. I think uh, Reitman was saying for meatballs. He didn't know that Bill Murray would even show up to tape until a day before, or something, That's what they <laughs> or said. shoot. Yeah. That's what they said about Ghostbusters yeah. 2. It
0: was like, we're shooting the next day, and then we don't know if he's going to be there. And then it's like, oh, here, Bill Murray's here. Oh, okay, okay. I, I guess we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go do this. Another interesting thing about that sh- uh, that show to plug a you know gigantic multi billion dollar corporation. They need it. They can use it. Is um, Slimer had a butt.
2: Oh wow. Really.
0: You do you look at like the maquette of him mm-hmm. and you know, you don't you see Slimer like flying off or yeah. whatever. He's got this full on ass. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like oh, I guess Slimer shit's ectoplasm or something. <laughs> There's, there, there was a Slimer farting, I'm sure, at some point in the movie that they just edited out. But like, it's just like very, oh, Slimer's got a butt. <laughs> that is very strange. <laughs> thank <It's>, you for <laughs> making ecto cooler. <much> <laughs> Ooh.
3: Uh,
1: nice choice there, Jeff. Oh, thank you, sir. Richard. All right. So you had asked if, the, if a vanity project could also be good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll give you one that, in my humble opinion, is quite good. Um, and also a rare example of a, a vanity project that was done on a budget. Because hmm. I think when we think of vanity projects, we also... One of the things you think about is typically something that costs a lot of money. For mm-hmm. sure. You, you, the words big budget tend to come before vanity Project yeah. quite frequently. Um, so this one was a vanity vanity project by uh, uh, XTC's Andy Partridge. Oh, wow. Uh, the album, the group was The Dukes of Stratosphere. Oh, I love The Dukes of Stratosphere. Yeah, yeah. so they... That, so the basic story behind this is that uh, Andy Partridge got fired uh, from producing an album by Mary Margaret O'Hara, o- O'Hara, who was uh, actually Catherine O'Hara's sister. Really? Oh, um, who was like this kind of folk artist mm-hmm. in the eighties?
2: Because she had a folk hit, I think. I she just. They're right. Sorry, no, it's yeah.
1: okay. Um, so basically, he's not religious, and she's a devout Catholic. And mm-hmm. once that came out, she basically said, "I can't work with you." Oh wow! So he went to the record label and said, "Well, you need to pay me for my time." Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, how about we give you some studio time to do some work on something?" Mm-hmm. And he had this project that he had been kind of thinking about since the '70s of what if you made an album of psychedelic hits. And it would be all original original music, um, but it would be ma- made by XTC, but we would put it out as some sort of silly psychedelic sounding name, which they wound up being Dukes of Stratosphere, and have the label release it as such, and actually release it as, oh this this was a uh, something that was found in our ar- our mm-hmm. archives recently by the 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 cult hit. Uh, psychedelic band Dukes of Stratosphere mm-hmm. from the 60s no oh, I hate this um <laughs> uh, well, this is this is
0: falling right in line with like the Chris Gaines uh, false history thing
1: it does and and they they, they wound up getting five thousand dollars to record it so they the band and they, he sprung this on the rest of the band like literally like we're gonna record in two mm-hmm. weeks do you have any songs that are psychedelic because he had already written songs for this project thinking maybe he'd get to do it someday. Um, Which is kind of an a-hole thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) So they get $5,000, and the whole thing was they had to record it using technology that was available in, in like, 1968. Oh, wow. Only using instruments that were available in 1968. Kind of getting into the whole thing. They all took on personas. Mm. Andy Partridge was Sir John Johns as a uh, homage to the uh, comic book character. Oh, sure. Yeah. and the thing is, it's an incredible album. It was a, the the original was a six song ep- or five song EP. Um, what year did this come out? Uh, this came out in eighty five, I think it was, eighty four. Okay. Um, and it actually, quite embarrassingly to everyone involved, it actually wound up outselling the last mm. XCC album mm-hmm. that had come out before it. So that was like, yay, everyone really likes it. Oh, that's not good news for our general career and basically each song it takes a different style so like the first song back right to the moon is very much a has has very uh, pink floyd elements the last song mole in the ministry is basically the entirety of sergeant pepper hearts club band kind of mushed into one song it's fantastic Uh, there are tribute bands i know jason faulkner Mm -hmm. is part of a tribute band that does nothing but Duke songs. So Mm -hmm. they put out an album a few years later, a full album of of Duke songs. Um, So it's something that if you're a fan of psychedelia, it's something that was a real touchstone. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to listen to. It's fun in a way that most vanity projects are, are not Mm -hmm. fun. Hmm. That's something that I think most vanity projects wind up coming off as being turgid Mm -hmm. or overworked. Yeah. Yeah, I almost like the Shatner thing is the flip side of that because the album's not good, the Shatner album, mm-hmm. but it's fun. Yeah. And that's the difference between like that or this versus most vanity projects like a Chris Gaines. That's not a fun listen, The Chris mm-hmm. Gaines album. The
0: um, You know, we are on the, just on the edge of our seats to seeing a new Star Wars movie. You know, we, J.J. J. Abrams is coming back to direct the second time out of, two of these last three and the first movie uh the force awakens when it came out everyone was like complaining about how oh it's just you just took you know went beat for beat did the same notes of doing star wars and i wonder you know but there was also this return to form of doing a lot more um on set filming right uh a lot lot more practical a lot more practical effects a lot more creature work um, some of these things that were kind of missing from like the prequels that George Lucas did. And I wonder though, but however, it was still a J.J. Abrams film and it was still an ILM of 2015 mm-hmm. film. 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. So it still had all of the newfangled special effects, digital technology. Yeah. All of, you know, it was all shined up. The Stormtroopers were all shined up. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if a movie like that would have benefited from a point of view of an album made like this of like, we're going to make this with this sort of technology, these sorts of instruments, Mm. this sort of production value. I wonder if it would have felt more like if you were to say like, okay, I'm going to make a movie that's kind of a redo of star Wars, but you know what? I'm really not going to progress the technology and the filming aspects past nineteen three. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would have been welcomed or if them would have been like you're a moron because yeah. Disney's giving you two hundred and fifty million dollars to make this mm-hmm. movie. I don't know. There there's an interesting thing here. There's like I love the idea of an album made from the past. Right. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. But at I, the same time it's like, but who's really gonna know? There's a part of me that's also like well, that's an asshole thing to do because really you're going to play a guitar that's only from 1968. Just play one from 1972. Who gives a shit? Right. Is is there going to uh-huh. be someone that's going to be like, well, that's the wrong guitar and be like, you don't fucking know. And mm-hmm.
1: that's what I think takes this from being just an interesting side project to a vanity project. Mm-hmm. Is that idea that we have to set these these rules for ourselves and we have to follow it. Yeah. And we're going to take on these personas. And when, they re, they, when the album came out, they didn't identify it as... Dukes of Stratosphere, who are really XTC, they made the record company kind of keep up the mystery and not say who it was. So that's what makes it a vanity project and not just, hey, a kind of cool, interesting side project.
0: Nice one. Jeffrey.
2: Well, this Rundgren's Faithful, I think it's uh, 19... Oh, yeah. He, he re-records all these amazing f- songs from the year that he began in the music industry. I think he said it's 1966. So here's a guy who is acknowledging his influences almost to a boring technical <laughs> extreme like right he doesn't remake good vibrations in Todd Rundgren's way he does it as close to Brian Wilson as he possibly can right and i reading about Partridge looking examining the punk movement and how punk's job was to shit on anything that came before and say "fuck you," that's broken, that's old, that's dumb. But he was saying, "I, I, I I'm, I've been imprinted on by these psychedelic songwriters right. and all these people, and it's in me. I can't pretend that it's not in me." Right. And I found a kind of similar band in this group called the Major Labels. Mike Viola of the singer from that thing you do, right? And the Candy Butchers and this guy named um. Um, Blue, who had a release on uh, Columbia Records called Redhead, and a producer from Boston named Ducky Carlisle. But they do these things that sound like AM radio from the 60s and 70s, and they list XTC, 10CC, McCartney, and Nilsson as influences. Influences. So it's not quite the trippy uh, strawberry alarm clock or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Um, So, okay, George Lucas, Strange Magic. What the fuck was that? Oh, is this your number four? This is my number four. Okay. Strange Magic. J-Ho. Yeah. Number four? Number four. George Lucas. Yeah. Strange Magic. So here's this animated fantasy with all these crazy characters that it's has some- in, I'm all in on this picture. As right some now. music that I love. Like, uh-huh. like in a way- right up there with the Owls of Kahoolie. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> <it's the laughs> Shit totally, that I will totally never is, fucking yeah. see, and I'm fascinated. But by. I feel like it was kind of refer a love story set against um, using the fabric of all this music that-, uh, that um, that he loved to tell this kind of simple fantasy love story with all these crazy creatures that probably weren't too far away from Yodas and Gungans and shit like that.
0: By the way, go back and watch Willow. It does not hold up. Oh, it doesn't.
2: It is awful to Um, watch. But then if you look at, um, amazing American graffiti, Mm -hmm. uh, the music of that time, that is his biopic kids cruising around trying to find love a um in the streets and uh music is such a fabric a throughput we d- i don't think of scorsese because not scorsese uh, um, um, lucas. lucas as this guy who lived in the now he almost seems like star wars and all these things seem like there were a long time ago in a galaxy far far away um but that's one thing that i found in strange magic that i could kind of relate to it was like oh He's doing this crazy thing with these characters to show he how out of touch he is and how he he, it, he talked about it as kind of a, a female Star Wars, a coming-of-age film for young girls. But um, looking at it and how much uh, popular music is the fabric of it, it made me think, oh, cool. He's going back to his um, American Graffiti kind of roots. But still, um, it's also like, I don't know if that was part of his deal with Disney because they distribute it it or something like that so it almost seems like Lucas couldn't get them to do Star Wars the way he wanted to so he's just going to do his own damn movie and they're going to have to uh, distribute it can you
0: imagine being this guy that had worked so much of his life outside the system that that had become the you know the number like like, you know obviously George Lucas creator of Star Wars and Industrial Lights and Magic comma known for working outside the system yeah is just like making some goofy ass fairy tale movie for Disney yeah. or with distributed by Disney.
1: It was actually uh started work on it before the first film Disney but mm. then it came out after. Okay.
0: Um he is such an odd duck as yeah. a person. But
1: I I guess as a creator as
0: like this Who
2: who says that vanity is a bad thing necessarily? No, that was yeah. the question that was the question that yeah.
0: I I thought of uh Cause halfway in, through. In
2: his vanity Uh, like a narcotic made him uh, believe in himself, even though he had weird oddball ideas like THX 1138 is just weird and not, I guess not too different than some dystopian sci-fi stuff, but all these studios turned down this script from this guy who did this hugely successful American graffiti, but he believes in it and he has this vision and not only do you have to make a movie, you have to make, all the visual effects apparatus and stuff to do that movie, like it's almost like the vanity is this. If we called it um, self-reliance, mm. and if we called it confidence, then it's okay, right? But <laughs> vanity says this—it's a deadly sin.
0: This, this, this is a nice choice. I—I don't know if I'm going to choose it. I'm just going to say okay, right? I—I don't know if I'm going to choose it. Uh, if you were to say, "Who does he think he is?" I'm going to say this. If realize. you were to oh. say, "Judging us. us," if you were to getting pull the. St- George Lucas made a movie called Star Wars, yeah, and the lead character's name was Luke S. Luke S. I would yeah. have been like, well, this is hands down the, the winningest yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> of any, of, <laughs> the savior of the galaxy is Luke the person with his S. name. With Luke S. Perfect. Um, very what, interesting choice to m- round it up. Though. My
1: favorite thing about this movie, having- Owls to... of Cahooley? No. Okay. The other Strange one. Strange didn't the they... Red, Red Tails, the other one? <laughs> was was, it was what I found reading the Wikipedia over the last two minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's apparently, this thing costs like $100 million to make. Oh my but Lucas said that he had a lot of Beatles songs that he wanted to use, but quote, well, we tried to use them, but they were just too expensive. Oh. It's like, you're George freaking Lucas? Yeah. How can some you, you are a quadrillionaire at this point? Well yeah. su- how can sung, you possibly he, not have the money to license a few Beatles songs? He sunk two point one billion dollars or however
0: much it is into like the the museum of basically like
1: of George Lucas.
0: <laughs> the museum of like uh one picture next to a next another picture and being like uh uh-huh. ah, that's a, uh that's art. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would love it if they were like song like oh Bloody, Old oh, blood Like He know, just really wanted octopuses.
0: Alrighty, I'm spent. You guys have done a great job today. Oh, thanks, Michael. Jeffrey, I know it's tough for you to come in here and act as the you know as the, the person, a participant. the barrister. You're, yeah. you're here. You are arguing something other th- rather than judging. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard, fine work as always. Oh, thank you. My choices are as thus: Jeffrey, no, no, Richard, yeah, Paul McCartney. Give my regards to Broad Street. Oh, it's a movie that has come up a number of times on this podcast, a couple yeah. times, mm-hmm. and it just makes me think. I got to see this, whatever this thing is. Yeah, makes me want to see it.
1: Yeah, you really, for your own good, you need to. Um,
0: Richard, you're going to get another set of points. Okay. For M. Night Shyamalan's *The Lady in the Water*, hmm. because that is one of those. Is like as soon as you described it as like the 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 guy that is the um.
1: Going to save the world going with this right world.
0: Yeah. Great choice. Uh
2: Jeffrey. Sh- some shout out so far. Yeah.
0: Jeffrey. William Shatner.
2: Thank you. I, I appreciate your vote. Oh, you got the Borglum bag. No. Oh, I do have book. a Borglum bag. Oh my god, really? I do.
0: Actually I also have a um a uh, President Garfield impression. <laughs> Uh, that that I was going to do Mondays, right? I totally forgot about it. <laughs> I was trying to work on my Ohio accent and I realized oh. there is no There Ohio is yet. no Ohio accent. Uh, my Borglum bag choice would have been the Donald Trump presidency. Oh, okay. That's good. Because um really it's all about him just putting his name on everything and getting rid of yeah. Obama's Legacy yada, yada yada. But the other choice that uh Jeff for you is um, the razor's edge. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a uh, good one. I oh, was I, read him. I was moved by your uh Your feeling of that as like a child or as someone that's coming, Mm -hmm. coming up being like, Oh, I'm so disappointed by
2: you. Yeah. Okay. It was a bear. It was a very, very disappointing thing. And I I think the flip side of that was when Ghostbusters came out, I was so happy to see his return to form. Mm. That was the only film that I think I've seen twice in a theater the same day Mm. that the day it came out, I was so excited that Bill Murray was back. I grab some buddies and say, "We gotta go. He's back. We gotta go back into the film."
1: It it doesn't count if you just hid from the uh, ushers. We paid. I bought two different admissions. I bought two separate admissions.
0: Well, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the podcast today. I'd like to thank my two friends, Richard and Jeffrey, for being here as always. um, I'd like to say, uh, tune in. To our next episode, our 200th episode. 200. What the hell? 200. I remember almost two years ago when we were out here for our 100th at uh, Jeffrey's uh, house. Yeah. The barbecue. Having a barbecue, having everybody on. I wonder what the 200th episode is going to be like. It's not going to be
2: that. There's even such things like podcasts back in the future.
0: (laughs) Well, for the Mount Rushmore podcast, my name is Michael. I'm Richard.
2: I'm Jeff.